Welcome to the Sex Question Seminar stream, where all week we are going to be asking, discussing, wrestling with some of the big questions that all of us face about sex and about intimacy and relationships. And we're really, really pleased that you've joined us. If you are kind of right at the door, please come in. If you can find space, we really want you to take part as much as possible as well. Uh, I'm Ashley. I'm one of your hosts this week, so you'll see a lot of me, I'm afraid. Um, I am from King's Church in Oxted, which very few of you would have heard of because it's a tiny town in the middle of nowhere. One of my questions I'm supposed to answer is, what do you do? Which is an interesting question for me for the next three weeks. I haven't told you this yet. For the next three weeks or so, uh, I am a project manager at a digital learning company, which is super fun. Um, and I help lead the youth group at my church. But after that point, um, God has told me to leave where I am. So I will be packing up my car, leaving my flat, driving off from my home on the 2nd of September. And we'll find out where I go. So that's, that's me. Andrew will now introduce himself and try and top that. That's exciting. I did not. That's exciting. I'm Andrew. I can't quite top it. Top it. You've got three weeks. I've got one and a half weeks left of being an assistant pastor at King's Church Hastings and Bexhill. Woo! <laughs> And um, then moving into a rolling new ground, a family within New Frontiers. I also work for a charity called Living Out. And Living Out exists to help people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. And it's led by a small group of friends of whom I'm one of that group who love Jesus, want to faithfully follow him, and also are gay or attracted to people of the same sex. And so we've had to wrestle with big questions about sex in our own lives. And then we exist as Living Out to help other people to do that. And so if you enjoy this seminar stream, if it maybe raises more questions for you, you think, I want to dig into this even further, head to livingout.org because you will find podcasts and blogs and articles, videos, animations, all sorts of different things that help us to do what we're doing over this week of wrestling with big sex questions. And that's what this whole seminar stream this week is about. If we're honest, we all face, we all have questions about sex. We are all sexual beings made by God in that way. We live in a hugely sexualized culture and that leaves us with all sorts of questions of what does it look like to flourish and thrive as a sexual being? If I'm a follower of Jesus, what does it look like for me to honor Jesus with my sexuality? And that's exactly what we're doing today. But we know these questions, they're, they're not like exam questions. If we're honest, many of us who maybe this year have done exams, we've learned answers to questions which you write the best you can in the exam. And then if we're honest, we often forget them, don't we? And if we're honest, we don't always think they're going to make a big impact on life. We know that's not the kind of questions we're talking about. We know that these questions are real life for all of us. And different ones of the questions and the topics we'll talk about this week will kind of hit home in different ways for some of us. So for some of us, actually, we may find some of these sessions really kind of hit on very personal things, maybe very uh, painful or emotive things, just big things we might be walking through. And so we want to make sure that we're looking out for each other in that. And we really want to encourage you that if at any point through any of the seminars in this stream, you feel actually this, hit, this hits home for me. You think actually I just need to talk with someone about this or I need someone to pray with me. Do do that. Do reach out for that kind of support. It might be your youth leaders, the people who know you and love you are already working with you. They're great people to say, actually, we heard about this this morning. It's really impacted me in this way. Can we talk? Can we pray about that? Or you might want to pray with one of the ministry team, the prayer team we've got here at New Day. And at the end of each of our seminars, they'll be kind of around here at the front over to the side there. They'll be really happy as well to pray with you in some of the things that we have talked about. So just to let you know how the stream is going to run through the week, and I'm going to forget everything, so I need to look at my notes. Um, so over these four mornings today, obviously, we're talking about sex. Why does God care? Tomorrow, it's sexuality. Uh, does God love gay people is the main question. Thursday, Thursday, 
I don't know what day it is. Uh, we're talking about pornography, what is the harm, and then Friday is going to be about dating and how we do it right. Also on Wednesday, Wednesday, um, we have in the afternoon over at the New Day stage, I believe, we're going to have a snappily titled chat with some gay Christians. So you'll get to hear more from Andrew and me, um, and there'll be more chance for Q&A, things like that there. Uh, what else do I need to say? So the way these mornings will run, uh, we're going to have a talk, which Andrew is going to share for us today in a minute. We'll then have a panel discussion. We'll introduce you to a couple of other friends, and we can just talk through some questions that you might have. And then we will have a Q&A. So you will see Hya and there, and the blue-tacked one that is falling off the side over there. If you head to slido.com and type in this code, SQTuesday, or lowercase, uh, you will be able to submit your questions. You can do that anonymously. That's a hard word. Um, and we will pick those up and answer some of those in these mornings as well. I think that's it. Let's kick off then with our first question. Today we're going to talk about sex and we're going to ask, why does God care? Maybe that is your big question about God and about sex. Maybe you think, isn't sex our personal business? It's not anyone else's business. It's not God's business. Why does he seem to care so much? Or maybe you just think, well, sex isn't that much of a big deal, is it? Maybe you think everyone does it. It's just a kind of a normal human thing. Why should God care so much about it? I wonder what your answer to the question would be. Or if we went online today or out into Norfolk or your hometown today and asked people, why do you think God cares so much about sex? I, I wonder what you or what they would say. Maybe you might say, well, God just seems to be pretty controlling and seems to enjoy being really controlling of how we live. Maybe you'd think, well, actually, maybe God's just really old-fashioned or he just kind of is out of touch with how things are. Just a killjoy wants to stop us having some fun. I wonder if they're kind of really common answers that people in the world around us might answer. Maybe they're things that we might say as well. They might be the kind of answers that we would give. But, of course, it's worth noting first, I don't think God's alone in caring about sex. You ever thought about that? You think about it, pretty much all of us actually really care about sex. We all think that there are boundaries to acceptable sexual behavior. We might put them in different places, but pretty much everyone else in this room will agree there are boundaries of sexual behavior. There should be kind of rules and guidelines to protect us and make sure we steward our sexuality well. We all kind of recognize that sex is important. We all recognize that we care about sex. Certainly we live in a culture which cares about sex. Think about the Me Too movement that's been so prominent over the last few years. That's shown that we care about sex because we realise its importance, we realise its power, we realise its potential impact, and we recognise there are parameters, safeguards that need to be put around sex to protect people. Some things like Me Too have shown us that we're a culture that we all care about sex. So in a sense, it's worth just noticing God doesn't seem to be unusual and outlier like if he does really care about sex, because really very often all of us do too. But actually, I don't think it is odd that God cares about sex. I don't think that's odd at all. And I don't think he cares because he's a killjoy or he's old-fashioned or he's controlling. I think there's a, a different answer, a better answer to this question. Actually, the answer the Bible gives us I think God cares about sex because he cares about us. I think God cares about what you and I do sexually because he cares so deeply about us. And when God talks about sex, he does that because of the depth of love and care that he has for us. And that's what I want to try and spend a few minutes trying to show you why I think that is the case. And of course, it's just worth noting, all of this is assuming that God does actually care. Maybe your question isn't, why does God care about sex? Maybe your question is just, well, does he really care about sex? And actually, that's one I think we can kind of straight up say, yeah, I'm pretty certain he does. 
Read through the Bible and there's quite a lot to be said in there about sex. Look at Jesus and he shows us that he cares a lot about sex. Jesus, for example, in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, he reaffirms everything the Old Testament had taught, the first part of the Bible had taught, about what sex and marriage are meant to be. Jesus, in a discussion with the Pharisees about divorce and marriage, reaffirms that marriages are meant to be unions of one man and one woman, which are lifelong, and that that is the one and only appropriate context for sexual activity. Jesus talked about sex. He cared about sex. But also we find Jesus cares not just about sex acts, as it were, but also sex thoughts. Jesus goes so far as to say, actually, even what goes on in our mind matters. That if we look at someone and we are deliberately lusting after them, actually, Jesus says, even that is basically the same as having sex with them. That falls outside of the parameters how God wants us to steward our sexualities. It misses the mark of what God calls us to. It's sin, as the Bible puts it. Jesus really cared about sex. And in that, he reveals to us that God really cares about sex. And God is, in some ways, very clear on sex in the Bible. He's clear that sex is a good thing, something he designed, he created, that he planned. You know, God isn't shy about sex because it was his idea. It's part of his plan in creating us and creating the world. But God also tells us that sex is only good in the context of a lifelong marriage, a union of one man, one woman committed together exclusively for life. And those parameters are laid down because God cares about us. He cares about sex because he cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about me. And I think to understand how we uh, see that, how that works, actually we've got to take a few steps back. We've got to ask a question that maybe we don't often really think about or really ask, a more fundamental, deep level question. The question of, well, what is sex about? Or what is sex for? Why are we sexual beings? Why did God design us in that way? Why did he design this thing that we call sex? You know, I used to think that God had all these rules, particularly rules around sex, which we just had to follow as Jesus' followers because he says so. You kind of think, well, why do you do that? Well, because the Bible says so. Why does it say that? Well, because God decided it would. But actually, then I came to realize, no, no, there's a reason for what the Bible says, what God says about sex. And that makes a whole world of difference. When we understand what sex is about, what it's for, how, why God's designed it, we begin to understand, okay, what God says about sex makes sense. And what God says about sex is for my good and for your good. We all find that if we've got a rule we don't understand, we find it hard to follow When you understand the rule is for your good, it can become quite a bit more easy to follow. That's what we need to do with sex. And so the key question is, what is sex for? Why does sex exist? Another of our big questions, I guess. I wonder what you would say in answer to that. Why does sex exist? Maybe you say, well, surely sex is about pleasure. It's about having a good time, some good feelings. Maybe you say sex is about love and expressing love to someone else. Maybe you say sex is about making babies and producing children. But what does God say to that question, what is sex about? God says it's all of those things. All of those things, but it's also more. Have we got any tech guys here who can run behind me? I'll try to keep going, and I hope someone turns up. Cheers, Dave. Maybe you give those answers. God would give those answers too. But he says more than that. Sex is more than that. Sex is purposeful. There's a a bigger picture behind it, a bigger reason for it. You see, in God's plan, 
sex is designed to be a signpost. That means sex is meant to point beyond itself to something bigger, great, to something better, something greater. Sex is a signpost pointing beyond itself. You're not going to stop at sex. You're going to see it pointing beyond itself. And sex is a signpost beyond to point us to Jesus. And we're meant to see it and see Jesus. On your way here, you might well have seen signposts to New Day or maybe signposts to the Norfolk showgrounds. And you know what? You could have stopped your coach or your car there. You could have got out. You could have set your tents up. You might have had a fairly enjoyable week camping at that signpost with your friends. But that would never be as good as actually coming here, being at the event, being part of New Day, would it? Signposts are meant to point us beyond themselves to something bigger, something better, something greater. Well, that's what sex and what marriage are about in God's plan. A signpost to point us to Jesus. Sex, the Bible says, is about Jesus. Jesus isn't shy about sex because he knows actually it's all designed to be about him. It's meant to point us to him. It's meant to point us to his passionate desire for us. It's meant to teach us about his longings for us to be united with him and to experience the most fulfilling and satisfying relationship we could ever experience. Sex is a signpost to Jesus. And Jesus knew this. Jesus shows us this when he's on earth. If you read the Gospels, those accounts in the New Testament of the Bible about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, you find that Jesus knew this and he wanted us to get this. Let me give you one example. Read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and there are some people around Jesus, and they've kind of noticed this peculiar thing. They've noticed that there are followers of or disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and the Pharisees, some religious leaders, and all of their followers were fasting. So they were choosing not to eat for periods of time as like a spiritual discipline, as part of their relationship with God. But these people looked on and thought, well, they're doing that, but the followers of Jesus aren't doing that. The followers of Jesus weren't fasting, and they come and they say to Jesus, how come all of these guys are fasting, but your followers, your disciples aren't? And this is what Jesus says in Mark 2. He says, well, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? You see, Jesus knows that a wedding is a time for celebration. It's not a time for fasting. If you've ever been to a wedding reception, you'll be well aware wedding receptions are about feasting. They're not about fasting. And Jesus is saying, well, this, is, this moment is like a wedding reception. It's a time for feasting, not fasting, because he is the bridegroom. And he is right there with them. That's why his followers aren't fasting. The bridegroom is there. It's a time for feasting. And let's be honest, that's kind of a weird thing for Jesus to say. This is a single man who wasn't engaged, who never got married, saying, I'm the bridegroom, and because of that, we're feasting and we're having a good time. That just seems really weird to us, doesn't it? But actually, Jesus knew that he was the bridegroom. He knew that he'd been promised as the bridegroom. You see, Jesus, when he says that, he's thinking of a load of stuff in that first part of the Bible in the Old Testament that said that God was going to become the husband of his people. So in the Old Testament, you get these prophets. We heard about one last night, Ezekiel. These messengers, uh, like the person on office duty that Joe talked about last night. And these messengers bring God's word to the people. And so through one of these messengers, a guy called Isaiah, in Isaiah 54, God says, your husband, your, sorry, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. This is saying that God is going to be the husband of his people. Or Hosea, another of these prophets, in Hosea 2, God speaks through this messenger and says, I will make you my wife forever. 
showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. This is a promise of what's to come. Hosea is bringing God's word saying, there's going to come a time when I'm going to become your husband. You're going to be my wife. We're going to be united in this wonderful relationship of self-giving love for all of eternity. And then Jesus comes and he says, I'm the bridegroom. The son of God comes and says, I'm the groom. I'm the guy getting married. He's the one those words were talking about. Marriage is pointing to him. And that's why if you read right at the very end of the Bible, turn to the last few pages of your Bible, the book of Revelation, we see Jesus returning, we see the end of history as we know it, entering into the new creation, you find it's pictured as a wedding. You find in Revelation 19 this great crowd of people, a multitude, singing this song of praise and excitement, and they say, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. The Bible ends with a marriage, with Jesus, the Lamb, getting married to the church, his bride being united for all of eternity in the most wonderful, soul-satisfying relationship of love. You see, sex and sex and marriage are a powerful signpost. They're pointing us beyond themselves. They're pointing us to Jesus pointing us to the union we can experience with him right now and also we experience in full in the future. Sex and marriage now are just kind of like this, this picture of a greater reality. Or they're like the trailer that comes out in advance of the film. So that means that sexual desire is meant to be a signpost to God's desire for us. The power of longing in sexual desire, the desire to be united with someone else, that's just a faint taste of God's desire to be united with us. The act of sex, that kind of um, whole deep self-union that takes place in sex, it's just a picture of the whole deep self-union that God wants us to enjoy with him and that we as his people will get to enjoy into eternity. And the marriage relationship is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, a committed, ongoing, uh, exclusive relationship, a whole self-union of self-giving love. Marriage is a picture of that. This, the Bible says, is what sex is ultimately about. It's why God's invented it, why God has created it. It's a signpost, and God wants us to see and to learn from, to follow the signpost, as it were, to where it's pointing. And that can sound quite kind of abstract, a bit ethereal, a bit kind of up here. But just think about your own experience. And I, I, I think this makes sense. I think it works. Think for a moment about the power of sexual desire. Maybe that's something you've experienced. Think about the power of the desire to be united with someone. The sense of being drawn to someone. And then think that is just the tiniest, faintest reflection of how God feels about you. His sense of being drawn to you, his deep desire to be united with you, actually it's a really powerful signpost we can learn from. Or think about a married couple you know. Think about maybe a married couple who've been together for decades, who are a wonderful picture of love and commitment and faithfulness. I, at this point, always think of my grandparents. My grandparents were married for more than 60 years. It was a beautiful relationship of love and commitment and faithfulness. In the end, they died within about seven days of each other, which I think speaks of how committed they were to each other. But even that is just a tiny, tiny glimmer, a faint reflection of the deep relationship of love and faithfulness and commitment that we get to enjoy now into eternity, the relationship between Jesus and his church. 
Do you see how a, a faithful marriage like that becomes a signpost pointing us beyond itself, pointing us to Jesus? God cares about sex because he cares about us seeing the signpost, learning from the signpost, following the signpost to Jesus. God cares about sex because he cares about us. He's designed as a good gift to humanity. He wants us to learn the lessons it wants to teach us. We're going to pause and have a quick discussion break. We really want to get conversations going in this seminar screen. We are thinking, we're wrestling with these things ourselves. So turn to one or two people around you. Do look out for anyone who's not from your church who might be on their own. Make sure that no one who doesn't want to be is left out, that anyone gets to take part. And just have a quick chat. Well, what do you think? Is this how you've thought about God and sex before? And what do you think about this? Does this help you think about sex? Two minutes quickly to chew that over together, and then I'll share a little bit more. Fantastic. Let's bring our quick discussions to a close. A few of the things we can draw out from this. One thing that's really helpful now is when we understand what God says sex is about, it begins to make sense of his parameters for sex. The do's and don'ts, if you, were, if you like, that the Bible gives us. You see, understanding what God says makes sense of the, the rules, the directions in the Bible. We understand that it's the signpost is the reason for all the Bible says. So sex as a signpost to Jesus is the reason that the Bible says sex is good, which it does. And often we've been bad at Christians at noticing that and saying that. The Bible says sex is good. Read the first few verses, 1 Corinthians 7. Basically, it's telling married people they need to make sure they keep having sex. If they stop having sex, they shouldn't stop for too long. It's basically what it says. Sex is good. It's a good gift. And in marriage, is really important. It's also the reason why sex is reserved for marriage. This signpost thing is the reason why God says sex is only appropriate in one man, one woman, lifelong union of marriages. Because the union that sex symbolizes is part of a committed, exclusive, continuous relationship. The relationship between Christ and the church is exclusive. It's just the two. It's committed. It's going to go on without end into eternity. And so sex, which is part of the picture of that, is to take place only within relationships that mirror that where there's the same commitment, the same exclusivity, the same going on until it's only ended by and separated by death. It's the reason marriage is between a man and a woman. Christ and the church are different. They're different things, different people. And so the picture of the Christ church marriage also needs to be between two who are different. And the Bible says the way in which in marriage we reflect that difference is by having one man and one woman united in marriage. That difference is really important. And it's the reason why all sex outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage, whether that be sex outside of or before marriage, whether that be same-sex sex, whether that be a lust in our own thoughts, in our own thought life, all of those things fall outside of God's parameters for good sex, uh, for what he's planned sex. All of those things are what the Bible would call sin. They're falling short of God's standards, God's uh, words to us, because they kind of obscure the picture it's meant to portray. They obscure the signpost pointing us to Jesus. Understanding sex as a signpost helps us to understand all the different guidelines the Bible gives for sex. But also, here's something really, really important it tells us. This all tells us that sex is good. It also tells us that sex isn't ultimate. God doesn't want us to put all our hopes in having sex. God doesn't want us to think that sex is the be-all and end-all. If I can just be having sex, my life will be full. Everything will be okay. He doesn't want us to think that sex, all that romance, all that marriage are the things that can fulfill us fully and totally in what we need. 
That's a message you and I are hearing every day from our culture. Every day, the world around us in popular media and social media is telling us, you need to be having sex to be fulfilled. You need to be in a romantic relationship, in a, social, a sexual relationship in order to be fulfilled. Start looking for that message and you'll find that day by day by day, every single one of us is being told that. God doesn't want us to fall for that because actually it's a lie. If you look to sex to satisfy you, it will let you down. If you look to a romantic relationship or a marriage to satisfy you, it will let you down. Because it's not designed to satisfy us. It's meant to point us beyond itself. It's meant to point us to the one relationship that can truly, fully satisfy us, our relationship with Jesus. And you know, because sex isn't ultimate, but Jesus is, if you never have sex, that really is okay. You're not missing out on anything you need. You're not missing out on the route to fulfillment. And actually, in a sense, you get just to skip over that and jump straight to the thing that really does fulfill us, to deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. Again, think about your drive here yesterday. Maybe you drove here. There were signs to New Day. There were signs to the Norfolk Showground. Maybe some of your mates saw the sign and you didn't. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? Once you get here, who cares about that? If you can get to the thing that the sign's pointing to, what's the big deal if you miss out on the signpost? It's the same with sex. And that's been a huge comfort for me. I've mentioned already that I'm a guy who loves Jesus and wants to faithfully follow him and what he says in his words. I'm also attracted to other guys. I'm gay or same-sex attracted. And because of all of this that the Bible says, I believe that the options for me are the same as for everyone. I can either marry a woman, which frankly I'm not interested in, or I can be celibate and not having sex and be single. I intend to live my life never having sex. And you know what? That's okay. Because sex isn't designed to satisfy us. Sex isn't meant to be the thing that totally fulfills us. Sex isn't necessary. It's not ultimate. But Jesus is. And I still get Jesus. I get intimate, intimate uh, relationship with Jesus. Him walking with me day by day. This is actually all wonderfully good news. Whether we get married and have sex or not, it's wonderfully good news. And we'll be unpacking more of what this means for LGB people like me. Tomorrow we're going to unpack that. Ashley will help us with that. We'll share some of our stories as well. So come back, as it were, to explore that in more detail. But one last really important way that God cares about us when it comes to sex. One last way we see that God cares about sex because he cares about us is that God cares about us in our sexual mistakes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I hear this stuff or I think about this stuff, or I read what the Bible says, and I see God's vision for sex and marriage, and I think it's, it's wonderful, and it's beautiful and amazing. And I also think, and I've totally failed to live up to that. I think in so many ways, I know I've failed. I think of so many times when actually I have believed that sex is ultimate. It's the thing I need to fulfill me. I think of ways that in my actions and my thoughts, I've not lived out God's parameters for sex. I've sinned sexually for many of us, we'll hear the good news of what God says, but it can kind of hit like bad news. We think, man, but, but we know we've fallen short. We know where we've struggled with that. And that will be true for all of us. Whether it's in our actions or our thoughts or both, all of us will be aware of ways that we've fallen short of what God says in his word. But this is where there's wonderfully good news. Good news that God cares so much, loves us so much that he has made a way that even in light of our sexual mistakes and our sexual sin, we get to come back to him. We get to be in relationship for him. We get to be freed. We get to be forgiven. We get to be clothed in Jesus' perfection. We get called back by the good shepherd as we've been hearing. 
And, you know, often when we become aware of sexual mistakes we've made or sexual sin, we feel really guilty. Maybe we feel really ashamed of stuff we've done. And often our instinct thing is we want to kind of back away. We want to hide from God. We kind of think, God doesn't want to be with me right now. I need to hide away. I need to kind of do some time out and get away for a while. Maybe that's how you're feeling. Maybe as I've been talking, you feel actually, I want to hide from God. Maybe you've come to New Day thinking, I'm just so aware that I'm not doing very well at this following Jesus thing and I feel like I want to hide. Maybe you think, does God even want me here at New Day? Maybe you're pretty convinced God doesn't want you here at New Day. Friend, if that's you, let me encourage you, look at Jesus. Think about what Jesus is like in the Gospels. Who does Jesus hang out with in the Gospels? Who is Jesus kind of drawn to and wanting to be with in the Gospels? It's not the people who think they get it right all the time. It's not the people who think they're really good and really perfect. It's the people who really know that they're not. It's the people maybe who are carrying guilt and shame and they recognize that. And Jesus hangs out with them and he eats with them. And he talks with them. He loves them. He's, he's drawn to them, it seems. As we've been hearing about the good shepherd coming after us, that's exactly what Jesus' heart is like. If you're here and actually you're just feeling so conscious of your sexual sin, God wants you to come to him. Remember, God doesn't care about sex because he's controlling. He cares about sex because he cares about you. And that includes when we've got it wrong and when we're conscious of that. So here's two quick ways God has good news for us when we've made sexual mistakes and we've sinned sexually. One is in the gospel, the good news of what God's done in his son, we are offered total and utter forgiveness. Jesus wipes our slate clean. He cancels all of our debt because on the cross he took all of our debt upon himself. He took all the punishment we deserve. He was a substitute for us. He was a sacrifice in our place so he can rightly and justly say there is no condemnation. Paul the Apostle was saying in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation, not one bit, he says, of condemnation. If you're a Christian here today, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is not one bit of condemnation. God is not judging you. God is not angry at you for your sexual mistakes. Jesus has totally forgiven you. If you're not a Christian here today, well, that's an invitation God is extending out to you to come and receive that forgiveness. But it gets even better. It's not just forgiveness, the slate being wiped clean, the debt being paid. We also get the gift of Jesus' perfection. What the Bible calls Jesus' righteousness. Jesus pays your debt, as it were, gets you to zero, but then he fills up your account with all of his perfection, all of his perfect living. The Bible says we become clothed in Christ's righteousness. We're clothed in his perfection. That means God looks at us and he doesn't see our mess and our muck and our sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. If you're a Christian here today, God looks at you and he does not see you in your sexual sin. He sees you in Jesus' total and utter sexual purity. He sees you clothed in Jesus. If you're hearing you're not a Christian, again, that invitation is available to you today. You can become a follower of Jesus. You can be clothed in the perfection of Jesus and enter into that relationship with him. God cares about sex because he cares about us and that includes and we know we've got it wrong and we need some help. God's plan for us is not that we're tied up in guilt and shame. That's not what God wants to do through these seminars in this series. His plan for us is that we know peace and we know freedom and joy in forgiveness and in the gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness in the relationship we get to enjoy with him. It might be actually one of the things you need to do today is to ask someone to help you experience that. Maybe I've been describing you. Wrapped with guilt or shame about things you've done or maybe things that have been done to you. Today's a day when you can maybe talk to a youth leader and say, this stuff's come up, would you pray with me? 
Would you help me find a verse in the Bible? I can just chew over this week so I can believe the truth that I'm forgiven, that I'm clothed in Jesus' perfection. That's one of the things God wants to do for us this week. Why does God care about sex? Because he cares about you, every single one of us. He cares about us seeing sex as what it is, a signpost to Jesus, as being pointed to him and encountering Jesus in that way. Let's have one more quick discussion break pause. Don't forget Slido. Put your questions on there. We're going to go to Q&A after a panel discussion in just a moment. But a few more moments in your little group. What do you think and what are your questions that you're now left with? Two minutes on that. Okay. Sorry to interrupt your scintillating discussions. Do continue them once you leave over lunch, please. Good to chat. Great. Uh, as Andrew has said, we're going to have a panel discussion. We have a couple of friends who have joined us on these enormous chairs that I don't really know what to make of. Um, They're really not very comfy. No, no. You kind of have to sit with your feet dangling off the edge. or Yeah, uh, yeah. good choice. Um, let's start with you guys. Can you introduce yourselves? Tell us who you are, where you're from, why you're here, that sort of thing. So, uh, no. Hello? No, I'm back. Hey, uh, my name is Dave, and this is my wife. Emily. And we, we live in Southampton. So. Yeah, Southampton Massive. But I was actually born in Hastings. Are the Hastings people here? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Playing to the crowd. So. Got to be done. Um, so I'm going to ask you what I think is possibly the most important question. It has divided my friendship group on multiple levels. Dairy milk or galaxy? Galaxy. <laughs> Dairy milk. Dairy milk all the way. I see I've started something. I have an instant regret. Apparently galaxy is what you eat if you don't already have dairy milk in. So I can approve of that choice. Preach. Yeah. Right. Back to what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, We've heard a bit from Andrew, so I won't ask you this one yet. I'll ask over here. What has been your experience of thinking about sex as a Christian? Has it always been kind of in line with what Andrew's just shared? Have you thought differently? I'll tell you what. I think there's never been a better moment to be a Christian than talking about sex. I actually love the place that kind of the church has got to at the moment. Um, where we really kind of, we've not bowed to what society says about sex, but we have learned a lot of the language and learned a lot of wisdom from society. And I think, uh, so I think back to a time when I was a teenager and I think churches tried to talk about sex but it was still a little bit like don't kind of have it until you're married and then there was also a bit of a thought of um, basically there was this attitude that basically if Jesus returns tomorrow that would be bad because that's before my wedding night and I'm basically holding out for that and that was kind of like the un- unsaid thing that the whole kind of church was living for um, which looking back is pretty immature and it's just unbiblical so I think um, I've gone on a thought process of seeing how the church has discussed it better and got better language to discuss it and learnt more nuance and learnt more wisdom and I think to get to the point so Andrew no one like Andrew could have given that talk at New Day when it started 17 years ago or whatever that just didn't exist so I think kind of come from a place of it wasn't spoken about well or understood well and we're getting better at it and that's really really helpful and freeing so be excited yeah I would disagree with that I grew up in Norfolk actually in a little sleepy village and I would say my experience of 
sex and Christian understanding was that there wasn't any. No one ever spoke about it. It was like an absolute taboo that I think one time they might have wheeled some trendy guy in to talk to us about once, um, but there was no teaching or anything. Cool. So how has a better understanding of God's design for sex, how has that helped you? It's been really freeing. It's been really freeing. Just... um, Okay, put your hand up if you've thought about sex in the last, say, month in some way. There we go. So would you admit it's actually quite an important thing to have some kind of an understanding of that is helpful? I'm glad it's not just me that's thought about it. Um, How is it freeing when you know the purpose of it, you know what to push into and what to push away from? And lots of stuff about sex is actually you've kind of... A, a sexual thought, you've kind of got a choice to be worshipful with it or non-worshipful with it. And that's the same for absolutely everyone, no matter what your situation, whether you are um, uh, married or single or attracted to the same sex or anything like that. You have a choice with every sexual thought you have to be worshipful or sinful with. And particularly when it came down to, to getting married, I got married at the age of 23. Um, and... I'm one of those stories where I decided I wasn't going to date for like 10 years because I knew I just had so much mess from relationships of my past and there's this giant pile of just pain and a lot of guilt from sexual sin for how I've been. Um, And God, in his grace then, like about a month after I made a decision, I met Emily and we got married seven months later. But I was so unready for it. The, The emotional side of things... And the physical side of things, because I came from such a kind of broken place and a confused place, whether it was porn or whether it was pushing sexual boundaries with previous girlfriends and stuff like that. And I've had to go on a journey of really learning how to yeah, just understand the best context for sex, why it is. I absolutely believe it's yes, a signpost to Jesus. Sex is all about connection with that person. That's the absolute most important thing. It's supposed to make you feel safe and close to, that, to your spouse. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but even now, as a, so I know I can get away with a bit younger, but I'm 33, believe it or not. I know, I know. Some of you think, yeah, he looks 45. No. <laughs> but I'm 33, and still today, I'm still sometimes outworking and figuring out with God some of the mistakes that I made before I was married, some mistakes I've made since I've been married, and I'm still making, trying to make those choices to be worshipful in what I do. I think the, the, the real impact, real life impact, what has it made of me? I, I'm not overplaying. I think so it was life changing. So by my early twenties, I'd worked out. I love Jesus. I want to faithfully follow Him. I'm only attracted to guys. Therefore, I want to honour Jesus by not entering into a romantic situation with a guy. But I really wanted to have sex, and it was a big issue. It was like I was in this brick wall of God. I want to have sex. I want a sexual relationship with a guy. I want a marriage with a guy. Brick wall. What happens? And for me, there was this breakthrough moment of realizing that what I wanted and needed was love, not sex. Mm. I suddenly realized, oh, actually, all this desperate desire to have sex with a guy is actually a desire to be loved. And I began to realize I need to more deeply experience Jesus' love for me. And I began to realize, actually, I've got amazing friendships, people who really love me. There's, There's genuine love in my life. I need to get better experience than that. And it was genuinely like a brick wall, which was this blockage of, I don't know if I can keep following Jesus, got knocked down. It's like, ah, oh, this makes sense. And still today, sometimes I wrestle with, there are days when I think, God, this is hard. Not having sex is hard. In our culture, not having sex is hard. But in those moments, I can remind myself, actually, 
what I'm doing when I'm really wanting sex is I'm believing a lie. I'm believing it's going to fulfill me. And you know, I spent enough years addicted to pornography that I know that sex will not fulfill me. I've experienced the fact that it doesn't fulfill me. And there's moments I have to go, what I feel inside is that I really want to have sex with a guy. But actually, that's the lie that's going to fulfill me. What I need is Jesus. And it helps me to kind of like channel it. I'm not going to pursue a guy. I'm going to pursue Jesus. And so genuinely, I think it has been life-changing. For me, it's one of the things that has, the key things that helped me follow Jesus now a decade later from those kind of wrestlings with because I realize God's not denying me anything I need. In fact, he's inviting me to receive what I need. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Um, we're going to answer some of the questions that you guys have sent in. We will obviously not be able to answer them all. We've only got 10 minutes left. So just to encourage you, go and ask your youth leaders if we don't answer your question here. Speaking as a youth leader, I love it when my kids come to me, my young people come to me, and they go, oh, I've been thinking about this, I've been thinking about that. Don't know about this. Um, even if the answer is, I have never thought about that before, I need to go away and think about it. Just, yeah, your youth leaders will love it if you go and ask them. Sorry if you're a youth leader and you don't feel that way. Um, but, yeah, it's great. So, um, a question. Is it all right to have sex just for pleasure after you're married? And a similar question, why did God make sex pleasurable, pleasurable if its purpose was just to make babies? Thoughts? Is it okay to have sex just for pleasure? Absolutely. If, if you're married, go for it. It's a form of worship. Um, one of the strange things that you may find uh, if you go on a journey of being single and getting married and then having sex whilst you're married, actually, it's almost the opposite when you're married of you have to try and prioritise it and you have to put in work to pursue the emotional intimacy that then makes it kind of a safe place to have sex with each other. Um, but it is abs- it's something you are supposed to enjoy each other's bodies. Uh, read the Song of Solomon. Lots of your pastors might like to tell you, actually, this is just a, uh, this is an analogy of how um, God loves his bride, the church. It is, but it's also a lot about sex. It's quite graphically so. And, and Andrew's the theolog- theologian, and he's agreeing with me. It's a lot about sex. And in it, there is a husband and his bride that he has pursued, and they enjoy each other's bodies, and they um, have special intimacy, and that is okay, and you can do that. And what's the second one about the babies? Yeah. So, and that's the point. Sex is partly about procreation, about making babies. And we forget that a lot in this society because for the last 50, 60 years, we've had quite reliable forms of contraception. For the previous thousand years of uh, Jesus, of, of um, humans existing we didn't have that contraception so it wouldn't be such an odd thing to be like oh sex being about babies but um babies come from sex we've had four that way it was amazing but um then sex is not just for procreation it is a gift um to enjoy and to be close with your spouse with yeah i think as well it just says something about the father heart of god that actually god is a father who wants to give us good pleasures so even though there's you know the practical side of it he wants us to enjoy things just to change the metaphor you know sex is a signpost another way to put it sex is a trailer it's the trailer for the film coming later the trailer is always meant to have the best bits to excite you about it sex is pleasurable because our union with Jesus for eternity will be more pleasurable than you can ever imagine. The pleasure is part of the signpost thing. But also, I know, is, is sex okay if it's only for pleasure in marriage? Yes, I think so because of that. But also, sex is never only about pleasure because of what it does in our bodies. 
So actually oxytocin, the bonding hormone, is released when we engage in sexual activity. The same hormone released when a mother breastfeeds her baby. When you engage in sexual activity, something is happening in your body which is emotionally connecting you with someone. So even if you're intending to have sex just for pleasure, actually there's always more going on anyway. There's always more emotional connection even if we try and switch it off. We can't. We're wired that way. Yeah. Cool. Um, someone asking for advice. I feel I'll be judged if I tell someone I had sex before marriage but I don't feel I should hide it. Can you all do me a favour? Can you all just shout out the word sex for me when I count to three? Is that all right? Okay. <laughs> Try it. One, two, three. Sex! Thank you very much. Now, you've all discussed sex in a Christian context. <laughs> um, there's a point to that. We should be able to talk about it no matter where you are in your journey. And this is the place to do it. And these are the people to discuss it with, especially youth leaders, especially leaders in your church, maybe if your parents are Christians as well. Um, no matter what you have done, and to be honest in my life, I've done some pretty shameful things that I don't particularly want to write down in my memoirs at the end of my life. But I've brought a lot of brokenness upon myself. But actually, the only times I've found freedom from them have been when I've discussed them with people and we've prayed with them. Because actually, I need those people to affirm me in Christ and tell me God's truth. And if I don't open myself up to that and I don't share, I can't hear that. God ministers through his church. You're his hands and his feet and his mouthpieces and you need your brothers and sisters to point you on to fullness in him. So please do share. Lovely. What else have we got? Why do you think that sex is the pinnacle of our, our why can't I speak today? Pinnacle of our society, and how do we look past that as Christians when it's blasted in our faces constantly? I mean, why is it becoming pinnacle of society? I mean, we could have a fun few hours talking about that. We live in a society that has come to believe that fulfilment is come by embracing everything you feel inside and expressing that and acting on that. That's how we kind of actualize ourselves. That's where we find fulfillment. That's where we found our best life. And because sexual desire is one of the most powerful internal things we experience, you're in that context, and therefore you think, well, embracing, expressing, acting on that sexual desire is the way I'll find fulfillment. So society gradually began to think fulfillment comes not by laying down my life for other people in my community, but by embracing, expressing my finding side. Sex kind of inevitably becomes a key part of that. And so we now believe that. It's why I said, for me, I had to realise when actually I'm longing for sex with a guy, what's going on is I'm believing a lie. I'm believing the lie of our culture that I need to embrace what I find inside to find my best life. When actually we know the real truth and the word of God, we find our best life by following Jesus, by carrying our cross. Sometimes that means kind of um, what old theologians use called mortifying, putting to death our desires, so, uh, um, choosing to respond to them rightly to pursue Jesus instead. Maybe you guys say on culture, how do we respond to that? I don't think our society is obsessed with sex. I think it's obsessed with lust. And it's the cheap side, and it's the shallow side of sex, should I say, that it is selling you, that it catches you in with. I don't think society is actually um, particularly obsessed with a, a fulfilled, you know, decades-long sex life with a spouse. It's not. Um, and so I think we get pitched a, a bit of a lie there. And therefore, it's not very well equipped to do it. I've got some can I treat you like adults I know I made you shout out sex a second ago but uh, uh, I just made a little list earlier of stuff that no one ever mentions in Hollywood uh, going to start with premature ejaculation uh, erectile dysfunction 
uh, cystitis. Uh, anyone heard those words before? Uh, some, some you haven't, some you have. Is it vagissimus? Is that, is that the words? Thick. They're things that might come up in sex, and I'm not going to go into to detail on all these things, but sex isn't easy for a lot of people to have. In fact, for some, it's quite painful. For many people, it's short. Some people have emotional damage before they even get to the bedroom. That means they're going to find it hard to function there. And the way that society obsesses around sex is this all um, encompassing, this will fulfill you. I think it's so shallow because it's just lust, and it's not going to equip you for any issues that may come up that you're going to have to work through lovingly and sensitively within a sexual relationship. Cool. Well, you say quick last one, we'll see. Are STDs in place to deter people from having sex? As the AIDS crisis was one of the biggest tragedies ever, was that God trying to deter gays from having sex? No. And I kind of can't put the explanation mark strongly enough after that. Just think to the logic. Let's say the AIDS crisis was to was God trying to deter gay people from having sex. Well, that's not fair because there are loads of people who were having sex with people of the opposite sex who weren't married. Loads of people sexually assaulting people. Loads of other sexual activity happening outside of God's parameters, which God was seemingly not judging through the AIDS crisis in the same way. And that is not what God is like. Come back tomorrow, hear about sexuality. God does not pick on gay people. God does not hate gay people. God loves gay people. He treats all of us completely equally. So I feel everything we know of God means we can say with 100% confidence, no, that's not the case. And the reality is there's some practical stuff of if everyone lived by the Bible's life-giving parameters, STDs presumably would be far less common because there'd be fewer chains of connection and kind of transmission. But I don't think there's any reason to say, based on what we know of who God is, how God works, that God has put these things into the world to be judgment or um, uh, deterrent, even though it's one of the many ways, and there are many ways, that if we all lived out the Bible's teaching, actually we'd all flourish and thrive much more as sexual beings than we do. A question to go away and think about, maybe to discuss this afternoon, is sexual ethics, sexual kind of parameters in our culture has changed radically in the 60 years, last six years. Are we really in a better, happier, healthier, more fulfilling place now than we were 60 years ago? I'm not sure it's delivered on what it promised. Something to discuss this afternoon.